pastors will get you a Bible, and uh, you can feel free to use one of ours today just when you leave. Just leave it on the seat, and then we'll have it next time for someone. Amen. So in 2 Timothy 4 and 7, the Apostle Paul says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Paul was one of the most educated scholars of his day. He was a devout Jew, and then he had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ and became a Christian. And many scholars disputed with Paul about whether or not Jesus was the Christ. But Paul stood strong and used his vast knowledge of the Old Testament to show them that Jesus is indeed the Christ, the Messiah. And God used him to write nearly two-thirds of the New Testament. Now again, there were many learned scholars who tried to pull Paul off course, but he managed to keep the faith all the way to the end of his life. As we've said, we have a number of high school graduates here today who will... Uh, some of them, if not all of them, will be going off to college. And I want to share something today that will help them to keep their faith as they journey through their studies. And this, actually, this won't just help them, but it will help all of us. We all need to hear and be reminded of these things that I have to share with you today. You need to realize one out of five students who enter college with faith in the Bible and in the Lord Jesus Christ, actually continue in their faith after attending a secular college. Think about that. Four out of five, four out of five, lose their faith and walk away from the Bible and from Jesus as a result of attending a secular college or university. That's pretty staggering, don't you think? So I want to share some things with you today that I trust will assist you in keeping your faith in the Bible and in Jesus while in college and for the rest of us that we just maintain our faith in Jesus in our everyday life as we go on. Now I want to recommend to these youngsters who are going on to college and it wouldn't do, do, do us all well to read it. I've read through it. Uh, this book by Max, uh, I'm sorry, by Alex McFarland. Alex McFarland. It's called Stand Strong in College and it's a really good book. Uh, We've given a copy of this book to these ladies that stood up. And uh, if there's anyone else that didn't get one, if you didn't get one, let us know. We'll get you one. But it's a real good book. And there's lots of things in there that, that I just don't have the time to share this morning. But it's, it's in that book. And I think it would be helpful to anyone. But um, uh, you need to realize this. As you go to college, there's a number of general study courses that pretty much everyone must take in the first two years of college. And some of the instructors of these courses can say things that will attempt to get you to question your faith in the Bible and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the courses in science and especially philosophy are the ones that you perhaps need to be the most cautious of. I remember the instructor I had my first year in college for philosophy was a very dangerous individual. Again and again, and, and I, I saw this over time, that people would 
I'm talking Christians now, right out of high school, loved the Lord, would go into his philosophy class, and, and he'd just chew them up, spit them out, and when he got done with them, they'd come out not believing in the Lord anymore. And you need to be aware of that. Now, not all instructors are that way. There are some of them that are Christians, actually, and there are some of them that are very good. But I would say that from my experience and my study, the majority of them don't have faith in the Lord Jesus. And, and they'll poison you if you're not watchful and careful, you see. Now, notice in Colossians, the second chapter and the eighth verse, Colossians, the second chapter and the eighth verse, I want to read this in four different uh, translations of the Bible. First, in the New King James Version, the Apostle Paul, the Holy Spirit, you know, through the Apostle Paul tells us, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Now, notice this same verse in the Amplified Version says, see to it that no one carries you off as spoil or makes you yourselves captive by his so-called philosophy and intellectualism and vain deceit, idle fan uh, fancies and plain nonsense. Following human tradition, men's ideas of the material rather than the spiritual world, just crude notions following the rudimentary and elemental teachings of the universe and disregarding the teachings of Christ, the Messiah. Now you need to remember the man that's making this statement was a very intellectual man, he, the Apostle Paul. He was very educated. I'm all for education. I'm all for learning and higher education. It's, it's, it's fantastic. But you just need to be very watchful about what the Bible calls this this philosophy of man that can poison you and corrupt your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you see. Now, in the New Living Translation, this verse goes like this. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. Now, I especially like the Living Bible, the way the Living Bible says it. Don't let others spoil your faith. Think about that. Don't let others spoil your faith and joy with their philosophies, their wrong and shallow answers built on men's thoughts and ideas instead of on what Christ has said. You see... Uh, in philosophy, and most students have to take that in their first two years, philosophy, psychology, and you may run into these things, you know, in other courses than philosophy, but per perhaps that's the, where it's most predominant, some of these things that can corrupt you if you're not watchful. But in philosophy, you will be challenged with the proofs for the existence and non-existence of God. You need to realize that nowhere does the Bible ever try to prove the existence of God. Notice if you would in Psalms 14 verse 1, Psalms 14 verse 1, 
And this will do you good to remember. Psalms 14 verse 1 says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So anytime you run into somebody and they say, well, they're just, there is no God, they've just identified themselves as a what? Fool. As a fool. Remember that. Remember that. And the Bible, nowhere does it try to prove the existence of God. But if you look at Romans, the first chapter, and the 19th verse, the Bible does say something about God's existence. And these four verses are real good to know before entering college and encountering certain professors. Like I said, there's some good ones out there, but there's a lot of them that are not. And these verses are good to know. I'm going to read these in the Amplified Version, Romans 1.19. Listen to this. This is just good to know. For that which, and this is talking about man, mankind, listen to this. For that which is known about God is evident to them and made plain in their inner consciousness because God himself has shown it to them. For ever since the creation of the world, his invisible nature and attributes, that is his eternal power and divinity, have been made intelligible and clearly discernible in and through the things that have been made his handiworks. So men are without excuse, altogether without any defense or justification. What is this saying? This is saying that you can just look at the creation. You can look at the stars. You can look at the... At, 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 the, the, the landscape and look at the trees, look at the animals, look at, look at the human body, look at, look at some big things that God has created, look at some very small things that God has created. You can look at these things and these things are in and of themselves proof that God exists. That's what the Bible says. I did a study some time back and, and, and I taught on gospel in the stars. Now listen to me. Astrology is demonic, but astronomy is not. And, and, and we looked at, you know, God has painted the picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in the stars. Do you understand that? And so just by looking at creation, someone, according to the word of God, must conclude that God exists. But look at verse 21. Because when they knew and recognized him as God, they did not honor and glorify him as God or give him thanks. But instead they became futile and godless in their thinking. With vain imaginations, foolish reasoning, and notice this, stupid speculations. And their senseless minds were darkened talking about people that look and they see the vast, mighty creation of God, but they choose not to believe it. And then they become darkened. You'll run into those kind of instructors in college. And in verse 22, notice this, claiming to be wise, they became what? They became what? 
fools. The fool has said what? Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Professing to be smart, they made simpletons of themselves. As you go to college, you will find many professors, and I found this for myself. I've been where these youngsters are headed. I've been to college. I have a mathematics degree from the University of Missouri-St. Louis, and, and uh, uh, I've got a Bachelor of Science in secondary education. Uh, I've got a major in mathematics. And so, I, and, but, I've, but I've had to take these other courses. You know, I just wish I could have went and take, taken math classes. But you have to take these other classes as well. And, uh, but, but many of the professors that, that I ran into, they have been what I call educated beyond their intellect. You know what that qualifies them for? That qualifies them for the official degree of D-U-M-M-Y. Now, if you, if you can't spell, I'll dummy. Just because you have Ph.D. behind your name, that could stand for post hole digger. I don't care how educated you are. And I'm all for education. I've got a lot of it myself. Calculus 1, calculus 2, calculus 3, linear algebra, differential equations, advanced calculus 1, advanced calculus 2, abstract algebra 1, abstract algebra 2, number theory, advanced linear algebra, non-Euclidean geometry, Euclidean geometry, calculus of complex variables, engineering physics 1, engineering physics 2, you want me to go on? Now, the only one of those that put me in tears was non-Euclidean geometry. Because in that class, you prove that when you have a point and a line, see Euclidean geometry, there's only one other line through that other point that's parallel to the, to the given line. But in non-Euclidean geometry, there's an infinite number of lines through that point that's parallel to that. And that put me in tears, some of the stuff in that class. And I wanted to quit. And Mama said, you ain't going to quit. I paid for that class. I remember when we went over to Umsel to enroll, and I said, Mama, I'm not, I, I, can't, I can't do no more. I'm, I'm a calculist out. I can't take no more derivatives. I can't integrate nothing. I can't, I've, already, I've already found the airspace underneath the ice cream and between the sides of the cone. I, 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 I can't do no more. And so I said, I'm, I'm going home. And she said, fine, but on the way, we're going to stop at McDonald's and get an application for you to fill out to go to work. I said, what you talking about? <laughs> so I went and got my degree. Amen. Amen. <laughs> but you can run into people who are educated beyond their intellect. See, none of those classes will do you any good that I just mentioned there. If you don't have faith in Jesus, you can have all those classes. And if you don't, if you don't acknowledge that there's a God and faith in Jesus, you're educated beyond your intellect and you qualify for the degree of what? Dummy. Dummy. D-U-M-M-Y. There you go. Notice this. 1 Corinthians 1.25. 1 Corinthians 1.25. 1 Corinthians 1.25. Notice that verse 
says this, the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And I believe it goes on to say that the weakness of God is stronger than men. Always remember this, that God is smarter than your professor. Amen? Remember, God's smarter than your pastor. <laughs> Aren't you glad of that? But God's smarter than your professor. And many will claim to be wise, but if they don't acknowledge God, they're fools. The foolishness of God is wiser than men. I think about Job as he and his friends had a discourse and they talked back and forth about God and, and, and some things that they said about the Lord and this, that, and the other. And it's interesting as you look at the book of Job and you can read it sometime, but uh, when you think about, you know, men will stand up and claim to be so smart and know so much and, and, and all of that. And, 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 and Job and his friends were, were talking, remember, and all of a sudden, God did something that he usually doesn't do. I mean, how many of you know he, he listens in? But, but, but very, very seldom does he speak up. <laughs> but with Job, and, you know, he spoke up. And I just want you to listen to this. God spoke up concerning their goings-on about some of these things we've been talking about. Listen, listen to this. The Bible says... Because God speaks, who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. God's talking here. I will question you and you'll answer me. You don't want God questioning you. Listen to this. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Who marked off its dimensions? Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness. When I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place. When I said, this far you may come, talking to the ocean now, this far you may come and no farther, here is where your proud waves halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? What is the way to the abode of light? And where does darkness reside? Have you entered the storehouses of snow or seen the storehouses of the hail? What is the way to the place where the lightning is dispersed? He's talking about electricity there. Remember this, Thomas Edison didn't invent electricity, he just discovered it. And God's talking about the place where electricity comes from. He says, what is the way to the place where the lightning is dispersed? Or the place where the east winds are scattered over the earth? Can you bind the beautiful Pleiades? Can you loose the cords of Orion? Can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons or lead out the bear with its cubs? That's talking about the stars. The book of Psalms says that God numbers the stars and he has a name for each and every one of them. 
Do you know the laws of the heavens? Can you set up God's dominion over the earth? Do you send the lightning bolts on their way? Do they report to you? When you start talking about God, their lightning bolts report to him. Who has the wisdom to count the clouds? Now God spoke up and he shut Job up. And the Bible says when God got done, Job stood there. The Bible says this. You look it up in the book of Job. That Job stood there like this. I tell you what, some of these professors that think they know so much and they're shooting off this theory and that theory and this theory and that theory. And they, I tell you what, if God speaks up and he goes to rattling off, by the time he gets done, he'll shut them all up, including me and you. Did you hear me? Remember, God is smarter than your instructor. As you go to college, you will be challenged with the validity of the Bible. They'll challenge you with how the Bible came into existence. They'll bring up supposed contradictions, especially on the, on the gospel accounts of the resurrection of Jesus. You need to understand that concerning the gospel accounts of the resurrection of Jesus, you know, uh, you know, Matthew recorded, and, and then and then Luke recorded, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they recorded, and like I think there's in one, one account that the, the one talks about two angels, the other talks about one. Oh, big contradiction! Now well, you have to realize there was two angels. The one gospel account mentioned the two; the other one only mentioned the one. There's no contradictions, friends. I've made a life study of this. You can't find contradictions in the Bible. Did you hear me? Now let me make that clear. You can do reading of the Bible, and you'll find some supposed contradictions. But if you'll get in there and do your homework and study, any supposed contradiction can be explained. Can you say amen? amen. Now, you just read the Bible and you don't do your homework, you may find some supposed contradiction. But if you'll really study and get in there and, and, and do some homework, you'll find out that there are, the Bible does not contradict itself. God does not contradict himself. And what they do is they major on the minors to try to disprove the major point of the resurrection. And that's what you see a lot of times that, that professors will do is they'll make mountains out of molehills and they'll pick on these minor things that don't amount to a hill of beans, but in the end, their intent, they use the minors to try to disprove the major thing. How many of you know uh, the major thing is that Jesus was raised from the dead? But you'll be challenged with the validity of the Bible. Like how, like I said, like how did it come into existence and so on and so forth. Now listen, I took several services sometime in the past and, and I taught you how we got our Bible. And I showed you that you can have confidence in it and so on and so forth and so on and so forth. But you know what? At the end of the day, I can give you every proof and every, I can show you everything. But at the end of the day, with all those proofs, you're either going to believe this or you're not. I can stand up here and I can give you books enough and proofs enough to fill this room up, but at the end of the day, you're either going to have faith or you're not. Did you hear me? 
And it is important for us to know and be able to give answers for what we believe. Notice 1 Peter 3.15. I'm just trying to help these young people as they head off to college. And, and, and this will help all of us. Are you getting anything out of this so far? Okay, three people. Praise God. Well, if all I do is help these youngsters, it would be worth it. Amen? The Bible says in 1 Peter 3.15, Always be ready to give a defense or an answer to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. And you do it how? With boldness and pride or with what? With meekness, teachableness. Teachableness. Always stay teachable. Always stay teachable. When you get to the point that you're no longer teachable, God can't use you anymore. Always stay teachable. Sometimes when I've worked with younger people, sometimes I'll ask them questions and they'll say, Wow, you're asking me a question, but you're the instructor. Yeah, but I can learn from anybody. When you ever get so smart that you can't learn from somebody else, then they need to dig a hole and bury you, you know what I mean? We need to stay humble. We need to stay meek. But also, we need to always be ready to give an answer for, uh, for, for what we believe. And this is known as apologetics. Real loud, say apologetics. apologetics. Now, I won't ask you to spell it, but you do need to be able to say it. Apologetics, and if you don't know what that is, it's defending and proving uh, Christianity. And there are a lot of good books, like Josh McDowell has good books, Lee Strobel has good books, there's other good books, videos, things you can get to arm you and get you ready, like this book here by Alex McFarland. It's a good book, some things you can read to get ready for some of the things that the instructor is going to hit you with. So you'll be challenged with the validity of the Bible. You'll also be challenged with the topic of creation. I remember that philosophy teacher I told you about, now, he was a devout believer in the theory of evolution by Charles Darwin. Now, it, it's actually, some call it Darwinism. And, and those of you going to college, I, I want you to realize you're going to be hit with many isms. Like naturalism, relativism, pluralism, utopianism, postmodernism, and the list goes on and on and on. Isms. The early church was hit with the false doctrine of Gnosticism. And, and uh, God used the Apostle John to stand up and debunk Gnosticism. Amen. But these isms, you'll be hit with all these isms. And, and actually, as you get into an, all these isms, what they do is they take a small, incomplete view of the world and make an entire worldview out of it. It's kind of like the three blind men and the elephant. And they go up to the elephant, the one feels the, uh, the tusks, the one feels the legs and the other feels the tail. And the one blind man says that the elephant is just, it's a bone. Well, how many of you know the elephant isn't a bone? He just felt the tusk. Is that right? But he thinks the whole thing is a bone. One will say, well, well the elephant is a tree trunk. Well, how many of you know he grabbed a hold of the leg, you see? And then the one will say, uh, here's, here's what the elephant is. The elephant is a rope. Well, we know the elephant's not a rope, but that blind man had a hold of the what? The tail. And that's what these isms do. You need to realize that. They take a small, incomplete view of the world and make an entire worldview out of it. But uh, Darwinism is something that you'll be hit with. I guess Charles Darwin and, and, and his theory of evolution has perhaps done more damage 
than, than we can put in words here today. But you need to realize that Darwin's theory is a theory. Real loud say theory. theory. Now, now I looked up the definition of a theory. Listen to this. It's a speculative idea as to how something might be. A formulation of apparent relationships or underlying principles of certain observed phenomena which has been verified to some degree. A theory is a mere conjecture, a mere conjecture or more simply put, you know what a theory is? It's a guess. And that's what Darwin did. Darwin, actually, you need, you, need, you need to realize this. It takes more faith to believe in evolution than it does in the Bible. It takes more faith to believe that just something happened by, by, by happenstance and that some amoeba crawled out of a swamp somewhere and developed and came on. I tell you what, it takes more faith to believe that than an almighty God creator said, let there be light. Amen? It takes more, you know what I mean? And actually, if you do a little study on Darwin, his book, The Origin of Species, uh, came out in 1859, and many of the phrases we associate with Darwin, like evolution and survival of the fittest, were not even in his original book, but came out in the fifth edition in the early 1870s. You can't have confidence in what Darwin wrote. He kept changing his book. How many of you know God doesn't change his book? Men have translated his book into other languages, but the book stays the same. Now, are you going to have more faith in this Bible? Or are you going to have more faith in something that a man wrote and had to revise five, six, seven, however many times? And then they'll hit you with the Big Bang Theory. That millions of years ago, just there was a boom, bang. Well, let me tell you something. I'm going to tell you something. There was a big bang, all right. And I believe, believe we explained the big bang in Genesis 1.1 1, 1, when, when the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then the Bible says that God said, light, be, poo, and it was. Glory to God. And I believe there was a big bang. Glory to God. And it was such a big bang that, that even scientists will tell you that light even now is go God said all that time ago. He said, light, be, and light is still going out at the speed of light. And it can't be stopped because God spoke it and it's going all over the, it's just expanding at the speed of light glory to God hallelujah because he said light be and there was a bang but who caused the bang it was a big God glory to God I get excited about this stuff the Bible says that God has a throne and it sits in the far sides of the north and it's got wheels of fire on it and once in a while he goes traveling around the universe on that chariot glory to God and it moves at the speed of light glory to God who I get excited when I start talking about God my goodness Glory to God. Can you say amen? Oh, they'd throw me out of most universities. Uh, you know, they kicked God out of the school system back years ago, didn't they? And he's a gentleman. He left, and you've had nothing but darkness in it primarily. Is that right? Right? 
And instead of Johnny dipping dip little Susie's uh, uh, ponytail in the inkwell, now he's shooting her or raping her. We need God back in the schools. We need the auto. Holy Ghost, get up. We ought to kick some of these unbelieving teachers out, give them a chance to repent and make Jesus Lord. If they won't, kick them out and put some teachers in there who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Bring some light back in there. Can you say amen? amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Don't argue with unbelieving instructors. Don't argue with them. Don't argue with unbelieving instructors. They're unbelievers. They're fools. You don't argue with a fool. Huh? You're probably not going to be able to persuade him anyway. Rather than arguing with him, you'd be better off to pray for him. That that blindness that they're blinded with, that spiritual blindness would be pulled down. You get to arguing with some of those professors, it's more likely that they'll confuse you. You'd be better off praying. Notice Titus 3.9, the living Bible. Titus 3.9, the living Bible. Titus 3.9, the living Bible. Don't get involved in arguing over unanswerable questions. Like what was before God? <laughs> you can't get before Him. Yeah, but what was before Him? You can't get before Him. The Bible says He always was. He always is. He always will be. What did the Bible say? Don't argue over those things. People want to argue and talk about where did Cain get his wife? <laughs> Adam, Eve, right? Cain and Abel. Cain killed Abel and then Seth, right? But where did... Uh, Women come from, where, you know, people argue about that and go on. There's a scripture that says that Eve was the mother of all living. She must have had children beside Cain, Abel, Seth, females. They typically didn't mention the females. You can get in and explain it all. What about incest? Well, back in that time, you got to get the human race going somehow. Huh? And you can actually do a study on the bloodlines, and it wasn't a problem back then at, at that time and so on. Much you can say, oh, what about the Ice Age? What about dinosaurs? I believe you can have the Bible and dinosaurs. I don't have an hour and a half to give you an introduction on that, but Carl Baugh, Kent Hovind, some of these people, you can get their materials and they'll explain all that from the Word of God. I did a study in it some time back. There's answers to all these things. I said there's answers to all these things. How old... Is the earth? How old is the earth? Well, some argue that it's 6,000 years old. Some argue that it could be millions of years old. And I think, <laughs> I think you could argue either one from the Bible. I, you could argue either one. I said, you could argue either one. I know this man's been on the earth for 6,000 years. How long has the earth been here? You could argue either one. You know, I'm not going to, I'm done wasting time arguing over how old the earth is when there's people out there have not yet heard about Jesus dying and going to hell and the, and the church is arguing about how old the earth is. I don't know how old it is, but I know that people need Jesus. 
Don't get involved in arguing over unanswerable questions and controversial theological ideas. Keep out of arguments and quarrels. I'm not arguing with nobody no more. I'm going to just hit them. No, <laughs> Keep out of arguments and quarrels about obedience to Jewish laws for this kind of thing isn't worthwhile. It only does harm. So then, pastor, you say I go into some philosophy class and I have to take a test and I have to you know, answer some things and, and maybe it's some controversial things. You know what I tell people? You know what I did when I had philosophy classes and I got a test? I wrote down the answers that I knew that teacher was going to... So I get the A and then when I get the A, I go away. <laughs> and then I... And I still believe the Word of God. Amen? Amen. Glory to God. And you need to realize, I know when, when I got hired at Hancock Place School District, I taught there for four years before we went full-time in the ministry, and they came to me, the principal, he's a good man, and he said, Mr. Shield, I know you're a preacher. Actually, I went for an interview one time at Rockwood South Middle School. And Marianne Anachi, that lady right there, she was one of the interviewers. And you know what? They didn't hire me. <laughs> so give her a hard time on the way out. Now, she told me later, she said, I wouldn't have wanted that job particularly at that time anyway. But I went in for the interview and I sat down and they started talking to me. And one of the things I told them, this may not be the exact words, but this was the essence of it, is I'm going to teach here until we get the church going real good and then I'm going to quit. <laughs> I wasn't too smart, was it? <laughs> I might not have said it just that way, but it was close. Go ahead, kick me. Go ahead, kick me up. But anyway, um, they said, the guy comes to me over Hancock. He says, now, Mr. we know. We know you're a preacher, but you can't be preaching to these kids. And I said, then you don't have to worry about that. I, I won't go in there and preach. I'll follow your rules. But I told them, I said, if they come to me and they ask me why I have hope in my heart, I'm going to tell them. And he said, I agree with that. And I had some of them come and say, Mr. Shield, you don't, you don't gossip. You don't talk bad about the principal behind his back. You don't, you don't sit in the, you don't eat with the teachers. You usually eat down here by yourself. And, 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 and we, don't, we notice you're not grabbing, crabbing and griping and complaining. You're all, and, uh, and you know what? That witness to some of those kids. And they asked me, how come you're always happy? I said, because I have Jesus. Amen? Amen. And then, finally, you'll be challenged as to whether Christianity is the right way and the only way. And kids, let me tell you something. At the end of the day, look, I've studied. I had, I've had world religions. I've studied all the religions of the world at length. I've studied the different, the different divisions of Christianity. I've studied the Baptists, the Method. I mean, I've, I've, studi I've studied... And, and I've learned, like, you know, how many of you know the Baptists and the Methodists and the, and, 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 and the Episcopalians and the Catholics? And how many of you, I've learned they've got the Jesus of the Bible. 
I, I've learned the Mormons, they don't have the Jesus of the Bible. I learned the Jehovah's Witness, they don't have the Jesus of the Bible. But then I began studying because they'll come to you and they'll say, because when we say that Jesus is the only way, they'll say, well, wait a minute, how do you know that Buddha's not the right way? Or how do you know that, that Confucius is not the right way? Or how do you know, couldn't, couldn't they all be a way to, to God? Couldn't they all be just different avenues to the same God and so on and so forth? How do you, how do you know Allah isn't the, how, how do you know he's not the way? How, and, 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 and I tell them, because the Bible said, because Jesus said that he's the only way to the Father and there is no other way. And then they'll come back and they'll say, but yeah, but that's the Bible telling you that. Might as well talk about this stuff. And all I can tell you guys and gals is this. I've studied them all. I've studied them at length. I've studied, I've studied uh, 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 Buddhism and, 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 and I've studied the, the, the different religions of the world. And as I was studying about Buddha, I've never had the presence of God come in and envelop me. As I've been studying about Confucius, I never had the, 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 the presence of God come in. As I've studied about Allah, I've never had the presence of God as I've studied Islam. I've never had the presence of God come in and envelop me. As I've studied these different world religions and uh, uh, surround the globe, as I've studied them in the midnight hour and studied them and studied them and examined them and studied them, I've never once, not one time, have I had the presence of God come in and envelop me. But oh, when I begin studying about Jesus and when I sit in the midnight hour and I study about Jesus and when I get in my Bible and I study about Jesus, the presence of God comes in and touches my soul. How do I know that Jesus is right because I've laid hands on literally hundreds of people and I've seen the, I've never laid hands on them in the name of Allah. I never laid hands on them in the name of Muhammad. I never laid hands on them in the name of Confucius. I never laid hands on them in the name of Sun Young Moon. I've laid hands on them in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the head of the church. And I've watched cancers dry up. I've watched lumps go away. I've seen people healed by the power of God. And it's because of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. I've never been stirred by any other supposed God besides Jehovah Jireh, besides Jehovah, besides Yahweh, besides God, and he is the Father, and he has a son, and his name is Jesus. Glory to God. And the Spirit of God moves upon my soul and upon me when I get up around Jesus. So you will have to make your own decision. But I made my decision a long time ago. And I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. I remember that instructor that I had those years ago. I had him for philosophy. I had him for logic. I had him for world religions. I'd watch him and I found out in time he'd spit Christians up and he'd, and he'd, he'd, he'd chew them up and spit them out and they'd go in believing and they'd come out not believing. And, and, and actually, I talked with this guy. I'd, I went into his office I'd, and he told me later, 
as I was closing up the last class that I would have with him. And he had the monkeys on the wall. And he was an evolutionist, a Darwinism. And he said to me, I'll never forget it. He looked at me and he said, you're not like these other students that I've had who call themselves Christian. You've not come in and argued with me. You've not come in and tried to change me. But you've just showed me kindness and respect. And I'll never forget what he said because he knew the Bible. And he said, like King Agrippa said to Paul, he said this to me, he said, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. And then he said, almost. It does no good to almost be persuaded. There's a lot of people that get almost persuaded and they die and they go to hell. And I said, but why won't you come to Christ? I didn't say it like that, but... I'd have to admit that I was wrong. And there's people that would rather die than admit that they're wrong. There's people that would rather, I'm convinced, would rather die and go to hell than admit that they was wrong. I'm going to close in the book of Daniel, the third chapter, as I know I've gone a little long today, but it's worth it for these youngsters. I'm not going to apologize today for going a little bit long because I'm trying to help young people. Just a few more minutes, but in Daniel, the third chapter, I want to exhort these young people with this story. I'll give you the brief version. You remember there were three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How many of you remember that? And it's clear that they were probably in their late teens, early 20s, somewhere in there. And they had made a decision that they were going to serve the God of heaven, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God who is the father of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they made a decision that they were going to serve him and no other. And King Nebuchadnezzar made a decree. And he said this. He said, when the music plays, everyone in the land must bow. And you know the story. And if you don't, I'm giving you the brief version. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we will not bow to anyone other than our God. And the king heard of it and he called them in and he said, do I hear this straight? Do you say you're not going to bow when the music plays? You won't bow down and worship the golden image that I had made of myself? And they said, no, king, we will not bow. And he said, well, we're going to play the music and we're going to give you another chance to, 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 to bow. And they refused. And notice here in Daniel 3 and verse 16, and we'll start in verse 15. Now, if you are ready at the time, you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, and so on, the cymbals, and so on, with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I've made, good. But if you will not fall down and worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Young people, listen to me. 
in this time that we're reading about, it was about bowing down and worshiping a golden image of a man. You may not be faced with that, but young people, one thing that I can guarantee it to, you'll be faced with this at some point where you will have to make a decision. Will you bow down? Will you go along with the crowd? See, when the music was playing, everybody else was going along with it. But these were three young men that said, we will not go along with it. We're going to serve God. We're not going to deny God. You may never have to bow down in front of a gold image, but there may come a day, and I guarantee it to you, in some form, shape, form, or fashion, you'll have to bow, have to make a decision. Are you going to go along with the crowd? Are you going to bow your knee to drugs? Are you going to bow your knee to alcohol? Are you going to bow your knee to sexual promiscuity? Are you going to bow your knee to cheating on a test? Are you going to bow your knee to ostracizing somebody who has been cast out, but you want to be part of the clique and you see that person hurting and they've been cast out, but the clique is going along with them being cast out. And you know in your heart that you're not supposed to cast that person out. They need help. But but are you going to bow the knee and go along with the crowd? Are you going to reach out to somebody that's hurting? There's going to come a place in your life where you're going to have to make a decision like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the king said, if you don't bow, you're going into the furnace and in verse 16 Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego answered and said to the king oh Nebuchadnezzar we have no need to answer you in this matter see they already knew what they were going to do they weren't going to bow Get ready before the temptation comes. Make the decision that when you're faced with that moment of sexual promiscuity that you're not going to bow and give into it. Make the decision now that when they present you with drugs, you're not going to bow and give into it. Make the decision now when they pass the beer, beer can or the bottle of wine or whatever it is that's going to cause you to become drunk and is it the whiskey, whatever. Make a decision now that you're not going to bow to it. Can you say Amen. And they said, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Verse 16, if that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, but if not, that's why they didn't get burned in the furnace right there. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Somebody say amen. Amen. My God, make the decision now and know that God will deliver you. But have this in your heart that even if he doesn't, you're going to serve him anyway. Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I have good news for you. God will deliver you. But make a decision in your heart that even if things don't turn out the way you think they should, even if God doesn't show up the way you think he should, make a decision that you're still not going to bow to the devil. Somebody say amen. He said, but if not, let it be known that we do not serve your gods. And so Nebuchadnezzar got angry. He had the furnace stoked up seven times hotter than it was before. He had Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego cast into the midst of the fire. And then the king said, you know the story, but let me preach it. Because, oh my gosh, it's an exciting message. And he throws them in there. And and, and he says, we got to go down and see uh, see that they're burned up. And remember, he goes down and he looks in and he sees sees Shadrach. He sees... Meshach, he sees Abednego, but then he, 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 he has to clear his eye. He sees, hey, there's, I put three in there, but there's a fourth one in there, and it looks like the Son of God. How many of you, Jesus showed up in the fire, glory to God. 
Listen, young people, I want to tell you something. God will not keep you from going through all the fires of life. But if you'll serve him with an uncompromising attitude, he'll be with you through all the fires of life. And the Bible said that their ropes were burned off of them and they were walking around in the midst of that fiery furnace and Jesus was right in there with them. Glory to God. They weren't exempted from the fires, but Jesus was with them through the fire. Why were they fireproof? Why could they stand under enemy fire? Because they would not bow and compromise and give in to the devil, you see. And they made a stand for God. Be a young person that makes a stand for God. And all the fires of the devil might hit you, but God won't let you get burned up. Glory to God. And the Bible said they came out and they didn't even smell of smoke. That's how completely God delivers. And then I like the way this story ends. Look, if you would, at verse 30. Because actually... Actually, verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar spoke saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, all of a sudden, see, Nebuchadnezzar was an unbeliever. Now, all of a sudden, he's saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. See what you refusing to bow could do? It could cause an ungodly professor to get saved. Or to at least consider. That's what happened to me. I just told you about it. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel, delivered his servants, who trusted him, and they have frustrated the king's word and yield and, and yield their bodies, and they should not serve or worship any God except their own. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks any amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces. Look at that. My God, see, they stood for God, and it brought glory to God. They wouldn't bow, and it brought glory to God. And then in verse 30, and the king promoted them. You want to get a promotion? You see, it'll look like to get the promotion, you got to bow. It'll look like to get the promotion, you got to suck up to somebody. But I'm telling you what, you don't have to bow. You don't have to suck up to, you know what I mean by that? Brown knows anybody, say amen. Only person you need to be close with, you be close to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost, and you make a decision to stand for Him, and do not bow down when the pressures of the devil hit you. And I tell you what, as a result, you may have to go through some fire. God will protect you through the fire. You'll come out, you won't even smell a smoke, and it'll bring great testimony to God. I believe people will get saved, and in the end, through that, God will do what nobody else can do. He'll promote you, and He'll set you at a place where no man, woman, boy, or girl can take you down can you say amen stand with me if you would and raise raise your hands to a holy god raise your voice to a holy god and just bless him for how wonderful he is we bless you today lord we thank you today lord we thank you as i've had this opportunity to in your power and under your anointing share this timely word with your people here today and i trust that as these words have gone into the hearts of these young